Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 36 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast, where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Duncan Shields of the Time Bandit Minute, plus a whole bunch of other things that he'll he'll tell us about at some point. Welcome to the show, Duncan. Hello there. It's excellent. It, I'm glad to, glad to see you again. Yeah, I, I always have trouble, you know, remembering all the different stuff that you do. You do like 50 different things all at once, you know. Uh, yeah. And I keep remembering that award that you got in high school, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, welcome to the show. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, you got your Dalmatian in, in, in tow and that you're all ready to, to get going on uh, Die Hard with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. All right, great. So uh, minute 36 begins with fire trucks coming from the distance and ends with Tony talking about a fire. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Sounds interesting, right? So everyone who was paying attention and was listening on Friday. So we, we ended things by, uh, you know, John pulling a uh, a little, I guess you could say high school prank, you know, <laughs> yes. by pulling, pulling, pulling the pulling the fire alarm. You know, and classic. Uh, it, it's it's great that there's a quick response, especially on on New Year's Eve. You know, in the in the <laughs> middle of downtown uh, L.A. You know, we we saw at the end of of Friday's minute there were four trucks that were on their way, and John was looking out the window and was really really happy. So this minute basically continues that. We first we get a shot of these fire trucks in the distance as they are coming towards. The you know we see it from John's viewpoint, so they're coming towards the screen, you know, yeah. uh, even though it's quite quite a distance, but we can still see, you know, we see where they are and what uh, we see that they are fire trucks. Yeah, so he's, uh, he's up, he's really up in the crow's nest there. He's got a great view of the surrounding six miles of LA. From, yeah, uh, from I mean, come on, he's on he's on the thirty second floor of a thirty four story building, so you know, <laughs> he's got a got a really really nice view. You know, yeah. I mean, I, if I remember correctly, we can actually even hear the fire trucks, the sirens, but that yeah. that doesn't make sense because I doubt I doubt that from that high up he's going to be able to hear the sirens. Oh, they're loud. They they might he might faintly he might be able to. There might be they might be no, but he's, but the window's closed. Oh, so, sorry, you know. that's right. <laughs> he's not yeah. hanging out the window yet. And they're, they're know, not so. flimsy. Yeah, they're not flimsy windows up there. Yeah, he probably wouldn't be able to hear them. Right. So, I mean, one of the first things I wanted to ask you, so what do you know about fire engines, fire trucks? Uh, not too much. I like that. They, I, I always like looking at um, old, old fire trucks, the old horse drawn carriage runs that seem to be just like operated on hope and good intentions and, you know, good, uh, you know, good, good firemen. I remember there was um, a fireman that I, a friend of mine was a fireman. And he used to have a prank that he would play on the little kids that would be taken around the firehouses on tours. And what they would do is they would put one of the firemen into one of the compartments on the fire truck. And so when they were taking the kids around, uh, they would say, like, this is where we keep the ladders. Uh, these are the pressure gauges for the hose. And if the fire is, you know, out of control, this is where we keep the extra fireman if we need one. And then hope. Op- <laughs> open up the compartment and he'd be curled up in the compartment. He'd be like, hello. And then they would like close the compartment and keep on doing the tour. Uh, like as if nothing had happened as if nothing had happened. And, you know, he said it was remarkable how many of the kids were like, well, that makes sense. And, you know, you you just know that some of them made it into their thirties going, yeah, the extra fireman. 
what do you guys, are you guys, I, I've seen it with my own eyes. They keep an extra fire, you know, like, you know, that like it took a long time for some of them to realize that that was a, a joke, but I, I don't know too much about the history of fire trucks. Um, right. Okay. Well, most people don't. I didn't either before, before I decided to look it up, you know, so, so first yeah. of all, the, do, do you know any other names for a fire truck? Uh, no. I found four. Okay. So besides a okay. fire truck, you have the, it's, it could be called a fire engine, a fire truck, a fire lorry, or a ah, Nino. Sure. Oh, right. Like the, uh, like the siren. It could be. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know in, uh, in the UK, like we, we, and over here, if I do a siren impression, I'm like, we, you, we, you, like, but over there, they say, me, ma, me, ma. And, uh, it's a different, uh, different. <laughs> Well, wait, is it Nima or Nino? Because here it's, it's, it's what I see is written as Nino with an N, not an M. Yeah, and I, and I figure that's a that's a variation on Mima. Okay, so maybe Mima is also one of the terms. It could be. I thought Mima is like a grandmother or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Mima. You can call your grandmother. But I remember there was like. So they're was... saying that fire trucks remind them of their grandmother calling them to come in. <laughs> no, it's just it's just an automatic pay for the sound for the for the sound effect of the siren. Like I remember there was an ad I saw where it was like, "What if the world had no sound?" And uh, there was these uh, pe- fire trucks and the fire bin in this in the that were driving it in the cab had cardboard signs up and they said me on one side and ma on the other m-a-w and they were flipping the sides back and forth in lieu of the siren because the in this world there was no sound kind of thing but i remember as a stranger or as somebody that was new to the uk i was like what does what are the words me and ma have to do with a fire engine this ad is very confusing to me and then somebody was like no that's the that's the sound that sirens make Mima. and i'm like technically accurate i guess but i've never heard it expressed like that okay sure <laughs> Mima. all right i get that i get that so so yeah uh, if they're it's, called if, if, it's very possible place, yeah so nina <laughs> Mima. i figure it's just uh it's the same thing okay uh, thank you for explaining that one to me. I didn't know what that meant. So yeah. a a fire engine is a road vehicle that's usually a truck, but not always, that functions as a firefighting apparatus. The primary purpose is to transport firefighters or water to an incident, uh, while it's also carrying the equipment for the firefighting uh, operations. Okay, most fire engines have sirens and emergency vehicle lighting. Um, and do you know when the first mention of a some sort of fire truck was used you know a device sorry a device that was used to squirt water on fire i'm guessing some victorian novel that would be my guess no it goes back even further so originally there so there there's there is a mention from the second century bc in uh wow Stesibius of Alexandria, he invented the very first fire pump, which was known either as a squirt or a fire syringe. Okay. Sure, a fire syringe. Why not? Sure. Okay. I, I, again, it makes sense if you think about yeah, it yeah. From, from, from today's perspective on it. And then in the uh, in 1650, there was a guy who named Hans Houch who built a fire engine that had a that was used from a uh, compressed air vessel. So on each side, they had 14 men working a piston rod back and forth in a horizontal direction, and they were able to then, you know, shoot out a stream of water up to uh, wow. 
20 meters, which is 65.6 feet, which is uh, pretty pretty amazing. To how so far you just got tw 20 guys just reefing on this pole back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until the fire's out. Apparently, yeah. Wow, that's just like hands on oars in a galley. Like that's Completely. just uh, just swap them <laughs> out. That'd be something to see. Wow. Yeah. Go when when you get that time machine done, you can go take a look. Go back yeah. to go back to 1650 and and try and find that. Okay. In colonial many fires. There you go. There's many fires. Yeah, but that would be the butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. If you if you do that, you know, you never know what you're burning down. Yeah. You know, you, you could be burning down, you know, the trees that that Abraham Lincoln would later use to make his log cabin or something like that. <laughs> That's you know? right. You know, so in in colonial America, in colonial America, there were laws that every house had to have a bucket of water on their front stoop in preparation okay. for fire. OK, sure. and therefore they, they would have what was known as the bucket brigade. Yeah, that would be in charge of running to each of these houses and taking the buckets in order to use them if there was a fire. Yeah, I've heard mm -hmm. of that for sure. Yeah. In 1719. A Philadelphia obtained the first hand-pumped fire engine, and you know they they were able to then uh, use that to try and put out fires also. Nice. Um, what else? So at the end, in the mid 19th century, you know most fire engines were just used by men, you know maneuvered by men. Yeah. But uh, the, then someone thought of the idea of having the horse-drawn fire engines, what you referred to earlier. Yeah. You know, which was uh, which would able to was able to improve the response time to getting to to fire yeah. incident. No doubt. Yeah. So the 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 problem was is that a lot of the firefighters got upset about this because it was taking away some of the work that they were doing, and they would okay. sabotage the device. Uh, would, they, would they sabotage the device or would they sabotage the horse? They would sabotage. Uh, I don't know. It says here. <laughs> It says that they had a steam pump, uh, steam pumper fire engine that was built in New York in 1841, and that was uh, something that the firefighters would sabotage all the time because it, it bothered them. I imagine that a, a couple of uh, a couple of horses might have also been uh, uh, it's sabotaged. Possible. It's possible. When when do you think the first motorized fire engine came around? Uh, 1998. Excuse me, 1998 <laughs> or 1898? No, I would say probably 1850. I got to go 1850. I don't know much about the automotive history in general. That might be before the first car. But... It's it's long before the first car, but uh, oh. the the, fir the first uh, motorized fire engine was in 1897. Okay, in okay. Paris. Ah, of course, so, yeah, of course, of course, of course. And, because, uh, as they say, Paris is burning. Uh, that's where we, uh, that could be. That's we, you know what? That 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 could be where that comes from. That that's yeah. very true. Wow, I never thought about that. Never that's thought kind about of a that. Cool, what kind that, of a cool where that correlation? Yeah, seriously. Um, for many years, the the firefighters used to be on the used to sit or stand on the side of the fire engines, or on the back. And uh, apparently, it was first of all, it's very uncomfortable for them. And in many cases, it's very dangerous. There were a lot of firefighters who were actually killed because when the fire engine would make a sharp turn and they no would doubt, go flying, yeah. you know, they go in yeah. the other direction. So they, what they do is nowadays, just about every fire engine has enclosed areas where the, the crew can, can sit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, that, 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 that's what I got about fire engines. Nice. So, yeah. I like, uh, 
when he's um he's so happy you know like there was a bit in tron where they asked jeff bridges like why do you want to go back into encom and get your secrets back so much and he goes because man i you know they they own they own stuff that i own like he but that uh that because man is so jeff bridges and then here when uh, bruce willis is looking out the window and laughing and he's like ha, 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 ha. yeah you know, like he's, well he starts off by yeah. saying yes oh baby come to papa yes. come on oh, baby come to papa and then he says i'll kiss your <laughs> dalmatian yeah. which i think is exactly is, is, he I, goes baby come oh. on baby come on baby come to papa i'll kiss your <laughs> dalmatian i hope like from the bottom of my soul that that was improv <laughs> and that he just threw that in there. You'll you'll but, find uh, out that by the end of the episode when we talk about the script. So you'll you'll find oh, out then okay, whether it's whether yeah. it's there or not. But I'll keep you in but, suspense just like everybody else. I have to wait. I started to I like uh, I like what he says there. I like this laugh. It's a very Bruce Willis laugh. And I also got into like that that made me go down the history of Dalmatians a little yeah. bit. Okay, I did too. We'll get there in a second because before right. that I wanted to talk about the fact. First of all, I love the way that he's. He's jumping up and back, uh, jumping up and down during this whole thing. Also, he, like oh, at yeah. one point, he jumps up and looks like he's skipping in place, you know, by, yeah, uh, by the yeah. way that he's doing that, and he's pacing back Whatever. and forth. He's he's just he's completely thrilled about the fact that the you know th- these fire trucks are coming to save the day, you know, really and stoked. like finally something's going right. Yeah, you know. And then we we see the shot of the trucks itself, of themselves again as they're coming, and you can see. On the right-hand corner of the thing, you see a big sign that says Ralph's. Yeah, I looked this up. I I, th- I thought, you know, of course it isn't because this is just a shot of L.A. and CG at the time for replacing this kind of stuff wasn't really good. And uh, you know, they could have made a couple of big signs, but I just I'll, I just always assumed since I'd never heard of it, they made it for the movie. You, they made up the name Ralph's? Yeah. They, okay. And so they just got a couple of big, like it was. Um, All right. Well, well I'm going to have to burst your bubble here. Because it well, is. Well, that's it, what I'm saying. Oh. I, I looked it up and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's an actual Southern California, you know, uh, grocery it's, store. It's, and it's apparently one of the largest grocery stores in the you know, grocery store chain in Southern California. In Southern California, which is kind of a strange, strange claim. It's like the, the biggest chain. In Southern California. Well, so, Southern uh, California is pretty big. So I mean, know. I don't know if that like seven stores. I'm not sure what that no, is. But no, 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 no. It's a lot more. It's a lot more. It's not just that it's the oldest in Southern California. It's like, I mean, the largest in Southern California. It was like, it's the oldest supermarket chain west of the Mississippi. Because mm-hmm. the, first, the, right. the first one was about 1873 was the first one. Yep. And some famous, famous architects like uh, built some of them and... Um, that's wild. And I looked it up on Google Maps, and that particular Ralph's is still there right yeah. beside the, uh, the Nakatomi building. That's great. So. That's great. You, 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 you took off you took up some of the stuff I, I researched, Russell, but that's great. Because I guess yeah. you know, because you now know what to look for when, when you're, uh, you know, recording with me. You know the type of things I'm looking for. So, <laughs> you know, you, you want to you make sure that you do your homework here. So that's good. Yeah. So yeah. it was, it, as you mentioned, it was founded in 1873. By two brothers named George Albert Ralphs and Walter Benjamin Ralphs, and they 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 opened a little little store and it ended up growing and growing and growing, you know, till it became as we said one of it became the largest uh, supermarket chain in Southern California. 
you know, they, they were a grocery pioneer that they would offer self-serve markets with checkout stands in, in various locations and stuff like that. Yeah, because um, I remember back back in the day, you walked into a store and you told the person there what you wanted and they went and got it. Right. And Correct. so it was kind of revolutionary. So you could have a huge warehouse and it didn't matter because you just have a front line of workers that would go, you give them your list, they would go get it and bring it to you. Right. But this idea that you walk in and pick it yourself at one point was like, what? Exactly. You know, so uh, so they were, that's why they were kind of pioneering. Right. It's like what you see in old Westerns or you see in like Little House on the Prairie and stuff like that. You know, they yeah, go into the, yeah, yeah. They go into the, to, to the local store and they say, okay, uh, give me, uh, you know, two pints of this and uh, six pounds of that and all this thing, you know, and someone's doing it for, for you. You know, yeah, you're, and you're, the store, a general store yeah. too, right? So you've got mm-hmm. your groceries on one side and your everything else yes. in the world on the other <laughs> side. Yeah. And it's all squirreled away in compartments. So you, you want somebody who knows where everything is, yeah, for you sure. know, to, uh, to just go pick it up for you. Correct. So do, do you know what other movies or different, what, what other famous places have we seen Ralph's? You know, whether no, I don't know. Whether whether we're talking about uh, you know in other media or whatever. So first of all, there's there's a uh, Ralph's grocery store next to uh, University of Hollywood in Beverly Hills. Oh, so we've probably seen it a whole bunch then. No, but I'm saying there's a real one there. It depends. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not it's not like for a set or anything like that. It's uh, you know it's it's a real store that people can go to. It's probably not this one that they're that we get to see here. Um, no, no, that that one is yeah, just down the street from. Right. What's the, sorry, what is it? Plaza Century Plaza? What's the actual? No, this is ten, this is uh, uh, 20th Century Plaza, I believe. Where yeah, you me. Yeah. Right. yeah. So that yeah, that Ralph's is is literally there. So that's not that's not the one next to. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 exactly. That's not the one next yeah. to Universal Universal Hollywood, right? Yeah. So you you mentioned before about a Jeff Bridges movie. There's another Jeff Bridges movie that has Ralph's predominantly featured in it. Any clue? Fisher King? Nope. The Big Lebowski. Oh, okay. oh wait a oh, second. Really? Doesn't the Fisher King take place in New York? It does. Oh, so okay. I would... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, not a point in my favor. You're right. That's, yeah. Uh, that's... Sorry. No, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. So in the Big yeah. Lebowski, the dude, okay, uh, is start. The movie starts off with him walking through the Ralph's supermarket and then later on right. when when he's being searched by the police right they find his ralph's card and they ask right. him is this your only form of id okay. yeah, that's <laughs> right that's right right and then is that so so is he and ralph's paying for uh, a, a pint of milk with his yes. uh, with by, by check is that right? yes, okay exactly um then when uh he's in the mortuary so uh walter starts complaining about the high price of the urn Right. In order right. to, you know, to put their friend Donnie in. Right. So, mm-hmm. so then he asks the funeral director, is there a Ralph's around here? And then the next right. thing we, we see them holding a Folgers coffee can, you know, that they apparently bought oh. at Ralph. <laughs> That's right. OK. Yeah. Like it's like, you know, how for a long time phone numbers were all five, 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 you know, like, they pretty I, much I just, still are. They still I they still used it as much as possible. Yeah, because if you use a real phone number, you got to clear it and you got to make sure that it's not an actual phone number and that's a hassle. So, yeah. But uh, I, I like whenever I saw Ralph, I guess I might have seen Ralph in six different movies and just assumed that it was, it was the, okay. the, 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 the Eat It Joes of the, uh, of the supermarket. Right. World. Okay, like, that makes sense. Just, 
but it, uh, to find out that it's a legit chain, I was like, oh, great, cool, of course. Yeah, for sure. So, um, did you ever see the movie Forever Young with Mel Gibson? He plays like oh. a, a a test pilot that is uh, 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 accidentally frozen, you know, cryogenically frozen for for like fifty years, and then when he wakes up, he calls a friend, and he's across the street. He he's across the street from the payphone, across the street from the payphone that he's calling from. There's a Ralph's, right? And then someone uh. someone asks him later on, "Where's your friend live?" And he says, "Well, there's a place called Ralph's there now." You know, they oh, okay. they built a supermarket where his friend had apparently lived beforehand. That rings a bell. You know, I might have saw it. Right. I, I mean, there's I, I found tons of other references, but most of them are things that I I don't really I'm not familiar with. There's in Repo Man. There's one uh, in the TV show Mad Men. Don Draper uh, carries a Ralph's bag at some point. Oh, okay. You have uh, there's there's uh, in the movie Dolomite from 1975. Um, there's a TV show, uh, an episode of, of Shazam that, that, that features, <laughs> uh, Ralph's, you know, back in, I think the seventies. Nice. You know, um, so, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of references over the time because as you said, it's a real place. So why not? You know? Yeah. Well, I thought I was kind of thought it was like that. Um, there's that cafe that, uh, like that's been in like literally 200 movies. I think it, uh. It says, you know, I think it's a delicatessen on the front windows. It's like the, it's like we're Gwyneth Paltrow and, uh, uh, has that conversation in seven, you know, where they're like, you right. know, you no, spoil I don't, I don't remember. You spoil not, I'm not a, uh, a, a, uh, LA person. So I couldn't tell you that. No, for sure. For sure. But it's not just <laughs> LA movies. Right. It's not, it's not a, it's not a real cafe, but it's just, um, it's a cafe where they've shot tons and tons and tons of conversation mm-hmm. so if you if 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 they're having a conversation in a greasy spoon um once you see them once you look out for it you're like oh there's that cafe again and it's a i think it's a set i'm not sure if it's an actual it might be an actual cafe that's just really close to the lot that they just film on at a, at a moment's notice all the time but anyway that's what be. i that's kind of what that's what i kind of figured ralph's was was like um yeah. Okay. Anyway, happy to happy to find out it's a good. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I, I agree with you on that. I mean, I I never even thought about it before, and I never even made the connection with the uh, with the Big Lebowski, even though I've seen that many times also. So. And and that it's old enough to be like legit if you put it in Mad Men. Right. You know, or that it's in the background in like yeah. issues of Shazam from like or you know episodes of Shazam. <laughs> That's fantastic. Right. Exactly. All right. So let's let, let, let's move along to what you were mentioning. You you started talking about before we started talking about uh, Dalmatians. Right. Yeah. Uh, like I didn't know that much about Dalmatians. I didn't realize their breed was like super super old. It's first mentioned in like 1375, and then it started. Then they started to become um like breeds that nobles would have and yeah. stuff. So mm-hmm. then they then they started showing up. And because it became a status symbol, they started showing up in uh, like royalty po- portraits and nobles portraits. So we actually started to see them in the early 1600s in uh, in portraits of of, uh, of famous people. Yeah, so for sure, it's it's pre- they're pretty cool dogs. Um, and they've all they were bred to accompany the carriages of nobles and uh, gypsies and and firefighters because they were bred to guard horses and coaches because apparently horses and dalmatians get along just great they're they're real pals so they're they're good with kids dependable watchdogs affable 
very athletic. You know, they've got that tight frame. Um, you know, they, they're, they're good at running. And they got that unique um, spotted spotted coat. If they, if they want to be officially called a Dalmatian and recognized as a Dalmatian, it's got to be in black or brown. Right. That's true. And it and was it, made popular by Disney. Yeah. <laughs> well, it definitely, uh, yeah, it was like Anheuser-Busch did, apparently they, they were in a lot of the Budweiser commercials because yep. they had the big mm-hmm. Clydesdales. And uh, so they had that. But then, um, yeah, that and 101 Dalmatians definitely, you know, cemented them in the public consciousness. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what 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 fascinated me was trying to find out what's the connection with Dalmatians and firefighting. Because that that's something you hear quite often also over the years. Yeah. You know, so I, I that that I looked up also. So it's uh it's it's Dalmatians are pretty much associated with firefighting because in the days of when they would use a horse drawn fire engines so that they would have the dogs guard the horses. Yeah. Because uh, you know, the horses didn't like being around the fire. But as you mentioned, yeah. having Dalmatians near them were, you know, helped comfort them and make them uh you know, make, make them, I guess, happier that they were, that they were there. Right. But, yeah, but, but once like, they, Oh, some, you know, a fellow animal is here too. Right. Okay. Exactly. Well, okay. Yeah. But not just a fellow animal, an animal. You mentioned the fact earlier that, that, you know, horses and Dalmatians got along really well. So why not? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You're good friend. You're right. good friend, the Dalmatians here. So. Right. But once they didn't need the horse drawn uh, fire engines anymore, you know, that it was a little bit of a problem. They didn't need the Dalmatians anymore, but, uh, you know, a lot of the firefighters wanted to, you know, adopt a Dalmatians as as their, uh, you know, mascots, and yeah. you know, it it just stuck. It's something that that over yeah, the years, I, well, you know, there's there's really no connection between Dalmatians and fire itself. Is the the connection between Dalmatians and horses, but it's yeah. stuck, and that's yeah. why everyone still thinks of like when I think of if someone were to ask me, okay, what dog would you think of is going to be dealing with you know, fire uh, that is associated with uh, firemen or fire trucks. It, the first thing I would think of is Dalmatians for sure, and that's yeah, just because yeah. it's been etched in our brains that 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 is uh, you know acceptable. <laughs> I guess you can say that that's yeah, the way. Yeah, you got that... like the you know when you think of rescuing skiers that have been trapped in avalanches, you think of Saint Bernard. Exactly. You know, right. and uh, and then when you think of firefighters, you think of Dalmatians. There's, there's probably about seven or eight breeds that are like that that have like right. a specific occupation. Right, exactly. And you think of you think of Amity, so you think of you know uh, the Great White Shark. You know that type of thing. There's things that are, yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was neat. I always thought it was pretty neat because I was like, how do you get those specific black spots? And it's like, well, it's kind of a gamble. You all, you can, you can, they can be blue spots. They can be brindle, mosaic, uh, orange lemon, or, or like uh, tricolored. And if they are born like that, you're, you're like, oh, well, that's not officially a Dalmatian. Or they can be born with mostly spots, but have one big coloration patch somewhere. Right. Like half of, half of their head is black. And then the rest of their body has the black spots. And it's like, well, too bad. You're right. not a, you know, you, you can't be entered into the dog show as a Dalmatian. You know? <laughs> did Did you know that Dalmatians have hearing problems? Yeah, I, I yeah, never knew that. Like, Maybe that's how you get them to stay near the fire. Actually, you think if they, <laughs> I think if they had, if no, that's how they. That's probably why they can stay by the fire engines. But the fire itself, you know, they would see the fire, not hear it. Yeah, yeah. I would think maybe the sirens, uh, the sirens of 
if, if there was a reason for their deafness, I would assume it was the sirens. Um, <laughs> no, it's genetic, they say. <laughs> yeah, it's genetic. Because of all, because the, you got to get that specific coat. So that's created with a lot of interbreeding. Right. And, uh, and so they're prone to deafness, allergies, hip dysplasia, and uh, urinary stones with uh, bone spurs and arthritis showing up in their late teens. So that's uh, not not a fun time being a being a Dalmatian. It looks like, and that the deafness can show up more often in the blue-eyed Dalmatians. So they try to not uh, not breed blue-eyed right. blue-eyed Dalmatians because I think it's the two two recessive genes coming together uh, result in the right. Okay, that, the makes, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I, but you know I've always heard that they're really dumb because of the because of the interbreeding they're really really stupid. I don't know, but. Uh, but I couldn't find any data to back that up. So I think that might just be uh, a myth or it's a mistranslation of the physical problems that they have to face, you know, because they do have inherent genetic damage. Uh, but it seems like mentally they're um, they're just fine. So, OK, which is which was good, which was good to good to find. Good out. to find out. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and as McLean continues to, to, to look out the window, we see that the, the lights start going out on the, the four trucks that are on their way. And I love how it's in succession. You have the first one go off, then the second, then the third, and then the fourth. And then he starts screaming at them and he goes, oh, you stupid motherfuckers. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Turn the truck around. And, you know, he's you see that he's, he's sweating profusely as he's screaming. Oh, he's so sweaty. So sweaty. And yeah. we get that over the shoulder look right. when the elevator goes ding and right. he turns to look at the camera and that just, you know, perfect every action movie has to have yeah, for sure. to look back over the shoulder. And it's like he's just stepped out of the shower. Yeah. He's so sweaty. Completely. But before we get there, so I, I wanted to focus a little bit on, on the word mother. All right. So oh, you know, wow. okay. I, I did a little bit of research on that one. Where's Where did that come from? You know, <laughs> so yeah, it's some, sometimes referred to as you know, uh, it's abbreviated by saying uh, mofo mf mfers, right? It is obviously a, and it was uh, a vulgarism first coined, yeah. first coined by the guy who invented the water pump in the second century BC when he was <laughs> trying to build it. <laughs> no, that it, it, no. uh, it might have been, but uh, you know, it yeah. wasn't. That wasn't the first recorded. You know, uh, thing. Now, the the word is obviously it's it's a form of the the word, fuck, right? Yeah. It's a word that is usually considered highly offensive. It's yeah. rarely used in the literal sense of you know talking about someone who is actually engaging in some sort of sexual activity with another yeah. person's mother or their own mother. You know, that mm-hmm. that's just uh, you know it it refers to a mean, despicable, or vicious person or any yeah. particularly difficult or frustrating situation. Alternatively, it can be used as a term of admiration, as in the term "badass motherfucker," meaning a fearless and a confident person. Right. So there, there are a lot of you know terms that people use instead, you know, in order to try to, I guess, hide the, you know, not have to say say the actual word itself. So yeah. you would say "mother humper," "mother fugger," "mother effer," "mother sucker," "mother trucker," "mother freaker." Mother lover, mofo, um, uh, father mucker, mother flower, mother flipper, mother kisser, and there's there's so many more that you can use in polite company in yeah. order to have to avoid uh, censorship. Like everyone who just heard right now, all the different beeps, you know, as we're going through all of these. And uh, this, these are these are um, alternate 
versions that you can hear all throughout uh, Snakes on a Plane, and uh, you can hear all throughout uh, Usual Suspects, <laughs> you know, yes. hand, me, hand me the keys, you fuzzy sock sucker, you know, like there you, uh, go. You, could, you can do all of those. Uh, what was it? Oh, yeah, that was it. Oh, man, get these monkey flinging snakes off this Monday to Friday plane. I think that was the, <laughs> that was the one yeah. that I was I was pretty happy about. <laughs> right. So you, you were talking about the, the origin of it. So so in when do you really think it uh, is first noted? The idea of, you know, engaging in that kind of physical Congress with one's own mom is something that is so inherently, and I would think, you know, it's inherently revolting in a way that makes you recoil in a sort of, to me anyway, like caveman way. So I'm assuming it goes way back as one of the, uh, one of the original taboos from when there were like 600 people on the planet. So, but first recorded, first recorded use. Yeah. I'd I'd say probably in some uh, monk religious texts in uh, in the year two or three hundred or something. That no, well, what, what I found was is that the the first uh, ter- the first recorded ter- version of it was in 1889, where during a uh, murder that case. Recent? Oh, that's recent. Yeah. Huh. yeah. During a murder case, a witness was testifying that the victim had called the defendant a goddamned mother <laughs> bastard son of a bitch shortly <laughs> before his death. <laughs> 1889. Okay. All right. <laughs> and apparently there, there was a court opinion in 1897 that, that, uh, you know, was, was, they were showing the transcripts and it actually has the words mother <laughs> in it. Nice. And there's another case in 1917 where a soldier called the draft board, you low down mother <laughs> in a letter. So those are the different ones. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now it it does appear in George Carlin's seven words you can't say on television. That's right. Right. He comments at one point in one of his uh, HBO specials that someone asked him to remove it since as a derivative of the word, f- it constitutes a dupl- duplication. He right. later added it back claiming that the bits rhythm doesn't work without it. Yeah. <laughs> Typical George Carlin. You know. It's true. You sort of alluded to this when you were talking about snakes on the plane, but this is actually a catchphrase for Samuel L. Jackson, yeah. who frequently utters it in various films, and that has a lot to do with the fact that he used it when he was younger to help him overcome a lifelong stuttering problem. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, you know, a little little bit of history on on, on the word. Yeah, like, well, <laughs> I overcame my stutter by singing. What about you, Sam? Uh, I had a little bit of a different solution. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, it reminds me of, of the, the King's Speech. You know, he started swearing in order that's, to help oh, get rid yeah, of his stutter that's also. Right, that's right. So, again, I, I don't know if that how much of the dialogue there is based on truth, but still. You know, it, it works. <laughs> yeah, some of it sounds like it's a bit of a, you know, not not entirely made up or, or only, you know, true in part. You know, right. a lot, along with a lot of other therapy, he also uses exactly. or something, you know, for sure. Correct. Correct. So now we get basically 30 seconds of action with no real sounds or no, no dialogue at all. You know, as you mentioned earlier, we have the, the elevator bell dinging. You know, which which is a great movie trick to to let us know at the same time that it's letting John McClane know that 
you know, someone has shown up on this floor. Yeah. You know, so like he quickly, quickly turns around and we see the, you know, we see a shot of the area, you know, where the elevator is and the music gets more tense as a, a figure starts approaching, you know, the door and we get to see that it's Tony. Tony! Right? And, and he's got his gun at the ready. He sure right? does. So he, he looks around, you know, he's looking around uh, the room very cautiously. And it's funny because, like, he's looking around cautiously, but then he goes over and turns on the light switch. Like, <laughs> where does he know? First of all, how does he know that these are the the this is the the light switch that's going to turn on all the lights in the in the room? Obviously, he has the upper hand because he's not trying to hide. So, yeah. why don't I turn on the lights? That's yeah. that's fine, you know. And we see that this entire floor is still under under construction. Yeah. Okay, and then we we get to see that that uh, McLean is hiding behind a stack of something. We're not really sure what uh, it is. Stack Tomorrow we'll get an idea. Oh. Tomorrow we'll get more of an idea oh, of what yeah, it is. That's right. That's right. You know, but he's standing there and he's got he's he's crouched down and he's also got his gun ready. Mm-hmm. You know, he McLean moves to the right as Tony comes to the left, which is really cool. It's a great effect. You know, yeah, you yeah. see McLean going to one direction and you see Tony going into the other direction, right? And I mean, they 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 do a great job of keeping this scene really really tense between the two of them. Yeah, you know, because because they they both don't know what to expect here. Yeah, you know, and neither do we at the same time. Yeah, and then Tony begins to start talking, and he goes, "The fire," and then he gets cut off. So people will have to come back tomorrow to hear what that rest of that phrase is after the fire. Have we talked? Uh, like one thing I always liked about the elevator ding is that it's used in great effect to, in a lot of movies. You know, yes. because that's the like you're out of time. That's the like you're out of yeah. time sound. That's like okay, that's right. prepping, 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 prepping. Ding. Okay. Uh oh. Game on. And that's uh, it, uh, like I think it was used. Cabin in the Woods. I think might have the best use of the elevator ding <laughs> with all of uh, <laughs> all of the guards getting mulched by the monsters. Um, yeah. Did, did you talk a little bit about uh, Andreas Wisniewski yet? The uh, the Tony yes. himself, the actor. Yes, we have talked about him. But if you have something you want to say about him, you can go right ahead. I just. Uh, Besides the fact that he doesn't have very many other roles in movies, well, this is his most prominent role that, you know, at least for, for those of us who are diehard fans. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, well, he played <laughs> Necros in The Living Daylights. Um, and it's a really right. sweet, sweet kitchen fight where he's gruesomely taking out uh, the people in the kitchen. And he's great yes. with, that, with the high kicks. He's a very tall, athletic guy. I found this. Uh, I think he's also, I think he's a, wasn't he also a ballet dancer just like? I believe it. Uh, Alexander Goodnote. Yeah. The guy who plays his brother. Yeah. He's got that. I I found like a speedo, a shot of him in a speedo on location in Morocco when he was filming the living, living daylights. And, you know, he's got that, you know, ballet body. He's just like ripped and like the muscle is dense and trim. And, uh, and, and when he's doing the high kicks, yeah, you're like, whoa, that he's flexible too. He's not just, you know, a rigid bodybuilder. He's got those, uh, that dance training. So He's got and uh, the fight at the end of the Living Daylights where he's fighting Bond, hanging on to the packages hanging out of the back of the plane. It's an amazing, amazing um, sequence. And then he yeah, yeah. undoes the boot and he gets his boot and that sort of Fury Road maneuver here, have my boot. But uh, he's very <laughs> tall too, which he towers over Bruce Willis here. He towers over Dalton. Um, and I guess you know, I guess he's athletic. It doesn't help him. <laughs> it doesn't help him. No, but it's it's that. 
you know, David, he's, he's an instant David and Goliath situation when you're going up against Andres yes. there. And he's athletic enough to do a fair amount of his own stunts, I imagine. But I, uh. No, I would but, assume. Yeah. He, yeah. In, in the coming minutes, he does get, there's, there's some shots that are clearly not him, but, and, and then according to the internet, um, movie firearms database, Bruce has a Beretta 92F here. And Tony has a Heckler and Kosh HK94, but it's been chopped and converted to look like an MP5. An MP5, yeah. Which was a very popular gun, referred to as the Rolls-Royce of submachine guns. Yes. Correct. All right, Jim, anything else you want to say before we get into the script? Nope. Okay. So, first of all, the 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 the, the script is is changed around a little bit. Okay. Okay, because the the beginning of this 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 minute where McLean is looking out the window at, at the fire trucks coming actually happens in the script before Hans tells Eddie to to call nine one one. So I mean it's it's a small little discrepan- discrepancy, but it's interesting that the the way that they cut it differently. I like the way they yeah. cut it in the movie yeah. as opposed to the script. Right, but it says McLean stands at the windows looking northward for fire trucks. Suddenly we see the flashing red lights of four engines in traffic two miles away. McLean, come on, baby, come to Papa. I'm going to kiss your goddamn Dalmatian. So the Dalmatian part, as you said, was was not, uh, you know, was not ad-libbed. No. But, uh, you know, Bruce Willis just uh, changed the language a little bit. But instead yeah. of saying goddamn, added saying give me i'll kiss your donation yeah i guess it just sounded a little better for him to uh, do that and then you know the the script has the the scene where hans is telling eddie to, what to deal with and then it goes back to the uh, the area on the 32nd floor with uh, mclean there and it says mclean stands silhouetted against the window in the distance he can see another fire truck swing off santa monica onto the avenue of the stars suddenly the red light of the first truck goes out then on the second, McLean watches in disbelief. The trucks slow and turn down separate side streets, heading for home. McLean, realizing what's going on, son of a bitch. Yeah. And then it says, just then, the elevator bell rings, and we hear the elevator doors open. A figure, Tony, slips into the shadows, his machine gun drawn. We move with him from the elevator area until he reaches the light switch and throws it, illuminating the entire floor. McLean is gone. On... Uh, then it shows McLean under a desk. He takes in his options, his point of view, the feet of Tony. They move slowly in his direction. McLean looks down the aisle next to the windows. It leads to a series of cubicles at the other end of the floor and is a clear path if you can make it past Tony. Tony moves steadily towards the area where we saw McLean, the fire, and then gets cut off. But, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this more, I think, tomorrow. But I like the fact that they mentioned here, this is not a floor under construction. This is a floor, you know, th- this is an office floor. There are cubicles, right. there are desks. You know, that that changes the whole dynamic of everything that's going to happen. I, I'm glad that they left it as a floor that was under construction. You know, that, that works a lot better over the next few minutes. We'll get to see why that works better. Yeah, yeah. You, there's, a, so, there's a lot of, shall we say, Jackie Chan opportunities in a half-built yes. uh, construction floor. Yes. For sure. Okay, so every Monday we have a segment called Die Hard on a Monday, where my guests will give their top five Die Hard doppelganger films. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Duncan, what have you got for us? Start with number five and work your way up. Oh, okay. Well, do you want to start with five or honorable mention? 
you can throw in an honorable mention, but it doesn't get points. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, uh, there was an honorable mention one. It was a movie called Masterminds, which is not very good, but it's Patrick Stewart and Callum Keith Rennie leading a team of terrorists into a rich kid's school in order to hold all of the students hostage. And one Sounds of, like toy soldiers. It is very, very similar to toy soldiers, except that the kids are younger. Uh, the okay. kids are like, a, you know, whatever, 11 or 12 or something instead of, um, the, the sort of 15, 16 year olds in, uh, in toy soldiers. And I think in toy soldiers, it's a military school, isn't it? Am I wrong? Yes. Yeah. So, it, um, uh, no, is it a military school? Uh, something no, about the no, no, it's not. No, oh, no, okay. that's taps. You're thinking of taps. Uh, yeah, well, sure, sure, sure. But, uh, like I just, anyway, in masterminds, they're sort of, uh, pampered rich kids. And they're 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 on the younger side, except for one of them who's like the working title was Smart Alec, uh, but, uh-huh. but then it got changed to Masterminds. I think they should have kept it as Smart Alec because I like that a lot. But um, I was in it. I I played one of the terrorists. The, 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 really? The terrorists uh, on the tunnel under the ground. Callum Keith Rennie is 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 leading them, and they wanted like a tall, skinny one. Uh, you know, a short round one, uh, maybe a couple of twins. Like they wanted us to be like a motley crew of terrorists that, um, that are, that are going in there. So I was the, the, the tall, tall skeletal one that was on, what was on the team. And I got to like be in the makeup chair beside Patrick Stewart once. And it was wild to hear his voice, not coming out of my television speaker, but coming out of his actual mouth. And he seemed like, just a delight because he was asking the makeup uh the makeup girl like did the other makeup woman get the case of champagne that i that i sent to them you know because they were talking about this type of champagne that they liked and so he was like oh well i know where i can get some and uh had it sent to them and so he just seemed like a, a really wonderful guy and i completely uh restricted my urge to say i, I just i'm such a big fan or <laughs> anything like that i just sat beside him and listened to his voice getting my makeup done so that's that's my honorable oh, wow the film is uh is is uh middling to fair shall we say but the um oh and the kid though the kid the the 13 year old you know kid that like is the fly in the ointment and messes up the whole plan uh went on to play uh in madman again the sort of the sort of uh whatever the slimy guy the tall skinny uh sort of slimy guy that's like on the same team as uh oh gosh the guy he's married to wow that movie has that movie has bradley whitford matt craven yeah wow yeah vincent carthizer is the guy's name he ended up playing pete campbell uh in um in mad ben Got a, it's it was a little ley line of a lot a lot a lot of diff, intersection of a lot of different careers, but it's not. A, don't get me wrong. Don't rush out and see it. It's not a hidden gem, but uh, it's kind of it's kind of fun to pass the time if you feel like it. And it's always good to oh, see wow. Patrick Stewart play a bad guy. That's uh, it's so rare. So it's you know you see a double bill of Green Room and Masterminds to see him play um, a bad guy or maybe his, his. Yeah, but I don't I don't see you in in uh, in on IMDb. Oh, you know, I, did you not have a speaking part? No, I'm I'm just I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a. a, a, a Glorified extra. Uh, in, oh, wow. Okay, so starting at five cool. for the rest of my Die Hard films. Uh, Lockout, which is uh, sort of Die Hard in space. Guy, Guy Pierce is sent to a space prison to try to, uh, to, to infiltrate the space prison and take over the space prison. And I think he's a criminal himself, but he has like, I don't know, Navy SEAL training or something. So they're like, you're our guy. Uh, I think 
Now these are Die Hard style films, and it's kind of just one one man against some stuff. So my choice number four is Taken, um, just okay. because he's 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 you know it's his particular set of skills going up against in all odds. Uh, number three is The Raid, because that's uh, that's in a in a building and it's just um, you know working your way up the floors. Number uh, two, I've got Con Air, which is sort of like Die Hard on a Plane. Mm-hmm. in a way and then uh number one is the rock i really really enjoyed uh the rock i thought that was a wonderful wonderful film which i think a lot of people are aware of like that's supposed to legitimately be james bond that's supposed right. to, like that's supposed to be he got sent up the river and abandoned by uh by the uk government so he's ended up in jail in alcatraz or whatever for a long time so yeah oh wow cool Okay, thank you for that. So you want to tell people uh, how they can get in touch with you? Uh, if you want to check out, uh, you go to the timebanditsminute.com, go to uh, to hear the Time Bandits Minute that we're currently working, the Time Bandits Movie by Minute experience that me and Curtis Blaze are co- currently working on. Or you can go to Tronologically Speaking and check out the entirety of uh, my Movie by Minute treatment of the 1982 classic Tron. And then on that website, uh, me... And Courtney Colson have also gone over every episode of Tron Uprising, and uh, Courtney's in the process of going through Tron Legacy in the movie by minute style. And uh, so, definitely, all things Tron, go to TronologicallySpeaking.com. All right, excellent. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcast catcher that you might be using to listen to this show. Uh, finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for. Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. And you can find me on my website. So, until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay! yippee